Thanks to Hello Monday from LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Hello Monday is a new podcast from LinkedIn's editorial team about how to get the most from Monday and your career. Find Hello Monday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Wednesday, March 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Emily Flippin in the house. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We've got earnings. We're going to talk electric vehicles. We're going to talk alcohol. Let's start with retail. Abercrombie and Fitch, fourth quarter profits were higher than expected. And I'm assuming their guidance for 2019 was amazing because shares of Abercrombie and Fitch <laughs> are up 21% this morning. Oh, is it 21% yeah. now? Yes, just in the time since we wow. walked in the studio a few minutes ago. Yeah. I mean, this. Was it that good, or was it just, my assumption when Abercrombie and Fitch does this? And it's not the first time that they've shot up on an earnings report. My assumption is that this is one of those apparel retailers where expectations are just a Always pretty low. Yeah, I think that analysis is completely accurate. Um, the sales, while they beat expectations, were still a three percent decline as compared to sales last year. So it's definitely just a reaction to the fact that you know people thought Abercrombie and Fitch was pretty down and out, and it may be down, but maybe it's not out. Uh, what I thought was interesting is, and I feel like it was just yesterday that we were talking about this company, and it was the same trend that we talked about then on the previous podcast, but the Abercrombie brand itself is doing so terribly. I mean, the brand itself decreased 9% in terms of sales. Meanwhile, Hollister, their other kind of, you know, as a sister brand, um, had revenue growth of 1%, which is not great, but still better than a 9% decline. It's in the plus column. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they're actually planning on closing 40 stores in 2019. I think it's just part of their cost-cutting, uh, you know, leaner business model. So we'll see how that turns out for them. But yeah, expectations here were very low. So we were talking the other day about Gap announcing they're going to spin off Old Navy into a separate company, and certainly. Quarter after quarter, Old Navy's been uh, the star of that brand portfolio. I, I get what you're saying, Hollister, one percent growth. That's not great, but it does seem like it's a similar narrative, at least over the past couple of years, where Hollister has been doing better than the namesake. Do you think, on any level, management looks at what Gap is doing with Old Navy and thinks to themselves, we should at least consider spinning off the Hollister brand, or is are there other levers they can pull? Uh, I would say that management must be at least. Thinking about it, I mean, Abercrombie and Fitch has performed so poorly for so long now, and they have so many other brands that offer greater potential. And you know, I'm not sure if it's just me, and maybe it's just me when I think about this company. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I just can't separate them from their former CEO Mike Jeffries, who made all of those terrible comments and was a relatively controversial figure. So when I think Abercrombie and Fitch. That's kind of who I associate with that, even though he's no longer CEO of the company. So I don't know, maybe it's a good move for them just to almost as like a part of a rebranding effort. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think you've got both things going on. Yes, Mike Jeffries, <laughs> a bad CEO for a lot of reasons. Um, they've also had other PR related stumbles oh, yeah. over the past five to 10 years. That being said, it is a brand that people know. It, it, there seems like there's some potential there, and under the right set of management or in the right hands, and maybe by the way, those right hands are in the private market. Because I, 
there is some brand equity there, and I'm wondering if three years from now, Abercrombie and Fitch is gone from the public market simply because someone in the private equity space has just decided, look, we're going to fix this thing, but we're going to have to do it outside of the spotlight of the public markets. Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. You know, any publicity is good publicity, and while Abercrombie and Fitch has had its share of controversies, ultimately you're right, it's still a household name. Let's stick with retail. Fourth quarter profits for Dollar Tree were slightly higher than expected. Shares up a little bit, and I'm wondering if that's because of the results or because of their plans for 2019, which they announced, which include closing up to just shy of 400 stores. Yeah, they're they're closing. You know, they made an acquisition a while back of Family Dollar, not the same as Dollar Tree Store. So Dollar Tree Stores are those. You know, you come in, you spend a dollar. It's kind of trinkets. It's a fun place to shop. Family Dollar is very different. And I used to live in a location, which for the the main kind of grocery and retail shopping location was a local Family Dollar, and it's it's targeted at lower income communities for which they don't have other options nearby. They need to walk to, um, and Family Dollar. You know, Dollar Tree thought was a great acquisition, and I actually think the little bit of a rise that we're seeing today is in spite of what is turning out to be a bad acquisition. They, uh, the losses they had this quarter were pretty substantial thanks to an impairment charge associated with that family dollar uh, acquisition. And so, in Lehman terms, basically what they're saying is that, um, yeah, you know, we spent 9.5 billion dollars on Family Dollar. Well, it's actually worth you know over two and a half billion less now. Than, it, than we thought it was when we bought it. So we, we overpaid for that acquisition. So they're going to rebrand about 200 of those stores and put them into Dollar Tree stores and then close the rest. So, you know, Dollar Tree itself, um, as a brand, as stores, doing really well. Uh, same store sales just for the Dollar Tree brand was up 3.2%, which is pretty significant. So I think they're realizing, you know, the future for Family Dollar might not be there, but Dollar Tree itself is. Still going strong. I'm wondering if this uh, is a buying opportunity in this regard. Tell me where you think this stock is on a valuation basis, because yes, they're going to be closing some locations this year. They've got all told north of 8,000 locations. They're obviously looking to close some underperforming stores. They're talking about an optimization strategy to remodel some of them. If the stock is cheap enough and you've got a five, ten year horizon. I'm wondering if this is a stock to at least consider because if they can pull this off, I mean, we've seen uh, retailers have success sort of going, uh, aiming at sort of lower income uh, families out there and doing it in a way that makes sense for the consumers and doing it in a way that rewards shareholders. It's funny you bring that up because we actually had an intern last summer, Troy, who listens to the podcast. So shout out to Troy. He really loved Dollar Tree for exactly that reason. He thought it was a great value. And I think he saw the trends that we saw with like discount clothiers, um, you know, the Ross, Burlington, TJ Maxx, and he kind of saw what he perceived to be a similar trend um, with Dollar Tree and other discount stores. Personally, I think it's a little bit risky. And the Dollar Tree store, family dollar stores themselves are a little bit predatory because they know that the low income communities around them have no often have no other options. And they charge more for your kind of basic household goods than you would get if you went to a Walmart, for example. So 
to me, I'm not completely sold, but I definitely think that if they're able to pull off that strategy, yeah, Troy would be completely right that it's an amazing value opportunity. Shares of Brown Foreman down around 7% this morning. Uh, Brown Foreman uh, is in the business of alcohol. They've got, uh, similar to Diageo, they have a portfolio with a number of different brands and a number of different uh, types of alcohol. But uh, yes, they have tequila and vodka and wine. But Brown Foreman, mainly known as the parent company of Jack Daniels, a number of other whiskey brands, bourbon brands, including. Woodford Reserve. Uh, so, Brown Foreman shareholders, don't blame me. I certainly uh, tried to do my part this last quarter. Um, what do you see when you look at at their results and and sort of where this stock is? Because uh, one of my takeaways, just looking at their portfolio, and this is not to pick on Brown Foreman. I have this reaction when I look at others, you know, Constellation brands, sort of in the same space, where I just sort of look at them, and in the same way that retailers have a number of locations, and some of them are underperforming, and as we just talked about with Dollar Tree, maybe a good strategy is to shut some of those down. I look at Brown Foreman, and I just sort of think to myself, should you really be in, is it really helping your business to have these other, uh, have as many Types of um, alcohol and as many brands in your portfolio, and I'm wondering if maybe smaller is going to be a more effective strategy. I actually might disagree with you there. Um, and granted, I am not a huge connoisseur of any of Brown Foreman's products, so this is coming from a relatively uninformed opinion in regards to actually using the products. But what I found interesting was that they're super premium, and I have no clue what this would include. But their so-called super premium American whiskey brands, their sales rose rose 21%, which is huge. I mean, greater than the 3% overall sales growth they saw um, in general. So, it's interesting because, yeah, you could think to yourself, okay, we'll just focus on the super premium American whiskey brands and get rid of the maybe some of the underperforming brands. But in my mind, um, you know, tastes kind of change. And having a diversified portfolio of brands kind of gives them some insulation from changing tastes. And we talked a bit a while back about Sam Adams. And I actually think Sam Adams is a great example of a company that has done well in having a, a wide portfolio of drinking options, which has allowed them to kind of sustain themselves in a you know, consumer culture that went against craft beer. So I don't know. I kind of like I kind of like how their diversified approach, but I will say, you know, they topped earnings, but they missed sales. So maybe there's something to be said for for what you mentioned. It is always interesting to me when we see um, when we look at this industry and we see acquisitions being made, and and some of them appear to be tucking acquisitions that make a lot of sense. And certainly, if Brown Foreman were to go out in the next year or two and sort of add to that whiskey portfolio, which is the biggest part of their portfolio. That would make sense. Um, Constellation Brands. I mean, obviously, they they came out a few months back with their investment in Canopy Growth. So it's like that. Brown Foreman can make acquisitions that I think people will applaud. I I wouldn't necessarily recommend that they look to get outside of their portfolio and, and invest in a marijuana company because. Well, you're talking to the marijuana analyst, I just know. so you know. So I, I'm not sure if I can completely agree with you there, but there's a point to be made. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, quick shout out to Hello Monday. Uh, podcast sponsoring our episode today. Uh, over the course of a lifetime, the average person spends more than 115,000 hours at work, or about 13 years. So, finding a way to make work more rewarding, fulfilling, and enjoyable is 
pretty much guaranteed to be a good use of your time. Hello Monday is a new podcast from LinkedIn's editorial team about how to get the most from Monday in your career. You didn't even know LinkedIn had an editorial team, possibly. Um, but they do. Each week, host Jesse Hempel sits down with featured guests to investigate the role that work plays in our lives, uncovering lessons you can apply to your own career. So, whether you are five hours into your first job or you have just 500 left until retirement, you're, you will be ready to take on Monday and the rest of the work week with the knowledge to make your career work for you. Um, I talked to Jesse last week, had a great phone call with her. Um, really excited to see how this podcast rolls out. Uh, the first episode already dropped. It's uh, Jesse talking to Seth Myers. Um, really enjoyable. I very much enjoyed her interview with Seth. So, uh, so check it out. You can find Hello Monday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, let's close out the earnings with NEO, which is the, uh, the so called Tesla of China. Down about 20% this morning. Uh, the loss in the fourth quarter was bigger than expected. Um, any number of industries doing business in China, any number of companies we've talked about over the last six months, and the narrative is the same, and it's certainly the case with Neo, the slowdown in China, um, and it's definitely affecting them. Yeah, and you know we're kind of fresh off the plane from last week's Austin member event, and this was a company Neo that many many members came up to me or asking me questions about, and I was a little surprised because it's a little underfollowed here at the Fool. But you know, unfortunately, they missed expectations, and regardless of the fact that their losses narrowed, I think the stock was down like over fifteen percent last time I checked. Um, so it it really comes down to two things, which is a slowdown in the number of monthly deliveries. So they're just seeing a lagging demand for electric vehicles, which makes people internationally very worried about the future of electric vehicles. And then they're also seeing just a general economic slowdown in China. And and those two things might be related. But you know, I told the members this in Austin and I'll reiterate it here. I think NEO is extremely interesting when you look at it in the perspective of a company like Tesla that gets a large portion of its sales from China, and their business models are so different. So I think it might have kind of reverberating effects for the entire electric vehicle market if the slowdown in China continues to persist. So this, for those uh, curious about this stock, this is uh, it's spelled Neo N I O, and that is also the ticker symbol. Um, uh, it's an ADR uh, that uh, people can buy shares of if they're interested. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just I, I just sort of look at this, and I think that, and and I know you and Ben Ra did a, a, a breakout session at the event in Austin about uh, investing in China, and I heard a lot of good things from people who attended it. So kudos to you guys for that. Um, I think that this does not help the narrative for people who are looking to invest in China, and this just becomes one more. And you know, six months ago. Uh, Four to six months ago, I should say, the narrative was about sort of the biggest players in China: Tencent, Alibaba, ICE, etc. Um, having a smaller company, uh, in the case of Neo, which market cap I think is around eight billion, something like that. But you know, so it's not a small company, but small relative to those. This doesn't help. Like for people who are thinking about investing in China, this is one more narrative that makes them go, uh, "I think I'm going to sit on the sidelines a little more." And that's so unfortunate. Because economic growth in China, I think, with their most recent numbers, was still up almost 7%. And so it's unfortunate that people see a slowdown with one company like NEO and may associate it with this, you know, all Chinese companies are therefore doomed. And I think that's completely inaccurate. And I think, 
you know, you're looking at it in a very expensive luxury electric vehicle maker. And sure, there's a market for that, but that's a much smaller market in China than the Chinese market as a whole. So in my mind there, and I told this to a lot of the members that I met in Austin, there are a ton of wonderful China plays still out there that are poised to succeed off of the changing demographic shifts that we see in China from lower tier cities, uh, you know, moving into to higher tier cities. And, you know, Neo, well, it's an interesting company and a very interesting play. It's just not one of those companies for me. Emily Flippin, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.